On this week's episode of Twill, Gnome is in some hot water this week with a new tool that they announced. Codeweavers announced the latest version of Crossover. Deep in Linux is currently deep in the midst of changes. Plus, we've got some updates for Firefox, Flatpaks, Lutris, and more. So, welcome to episode 211 of This Week in Linux, a podcast by the Tux Digital Network. This episode of Twill was recorded live on August 27th, 2022 at tuxdigital.com slash live. My name is Michael Tanell, and I'll be your host for this evening. Or whenever it is that you're listening to this episode. And always, because I'm always the host. Anyway, let's move on from that. If you're new to the show, this is the podcast that will keep you up to date with what's going on in the Linux world, and I'll give you my take as a 20-year-plus Linux user. So let's jump right into your weekly source for Linux good news. This episode of This Week in Linux is sponsored by DigitalOcean and by Bitwarden. We're going to start off this episode with a bit of drama, because who doesn't love drama? Sure. So Gnome has recently launched a new telemetry app called Gnome-Info-Collect that collects anonymous information about your system and some choices you have made on your system, like the default browser and some like favorite apps and stuff like that. So first of all, I'd like to say, before we get any into the actual topic, that telemetry is not automatically a bad thing. Telemetry just means automatic collections of information with some use of technology. This process can be done ethically and unethically. But unfortunately, this term is associated with the unethical part more often than not. But I just want to make it clear that it doesn't automatically mean it's bad just because the word telemetry is used. Now let's talk about what kind of data this application collects. This program collects your distro for, for your distro information, your version of that distro, uh, hardware OEM stuff like model, the CPU, GPU, etc. If Flatpak and Flathub are installed and enabled, uh, favorite applications like things that you pin to the dock, GNOME extensions installed if you're using GNOME. Obviously, if you're using this application, you probably would be using GNOME, but not necessarily. You could probably adopt this in another system. But that'd be interesting to see if that would work. Uh, Also, your default browser and a unique ID, which is a salted hash of the machine ID plus username. There's a lot of information in this list, but no personal identifiable information is included, not even country data or anything like that. The most important thing to know that this tool is also not pre-installed in GNOME or in any distro. So you will have to manually install it and run it to participate in the data collection. Now, in some cases, people will say that opt-in is a good thing. And depending on how much information is sent, then I tend to agree. But there's another thing that should be considered, in my opinion. The data in this will be heavily skewed because it requires a user to know about this app, install it, and then run it, guaranteeing that the data will be pretty skewed in a lot of ways. Opt-in sounds like a better choice, but it's not really in my opinion. The best option would be to have a opt-out for a very basic amount of data, such as distro information and unique ID, and then opt-in for more data, and it should be presented as an option during install or after install in like the setup process and stuff like that. I think that would be the optimal way of doing it, and honestly, I want the entire ecosystem of Linux to adopt this method because that would give us more information about how many people are using Linux, and how many people are using a given distro. 
which would be very, very powerful to have so we could go to companies and convince them to support Linux rather than the current system of losing your minds every time telemetry comes up at all ever. So just a food for thought. Now, this topic is a bit complex and probably not something I should go into any more detail right now as we have many topics to cover in the show. So I think I'll make a separate video about it. And if you'd like for me to do that, you want me to make that video, let me know in the comments below or on the forum at tuxdigital.com slash forum. If you'd like to learn more about this new tool from GNOME, link in the show notes. Codeweavers announced this week the release of their latest version of Crossover with Crossover 22. What is Crossover? Well, Crossover is a commercial product based on top of Wine. It offers a lot of enhancements and compatibility improvements for a wide variety of Windows software, including software like Microsoft Office 365, MS Office 2016, and others. Crossover, Crossover 22 is rebased on top of Wine 7.7 upstream, so it includes stuff like VKD3D 1.4 and a lot more. Crossover 22 also has a complete redesign to the user interface, which provides a modern look and feel with the hope to make it using Crossover more intuitive to the user. Now, you may be wondering, why should someone pay for Crossover when they could just get wine? And this is a great question. I'm glad I asked it for you. Crossover is made by Coweavers, and they are not just a company that make Crossover. Coweavers is also a sponsor of the Wine Project itself, and they employ many of the Wine developers. In fact, the lead maintainer of Wine is a part of Coweavers. Coweavers are also the people behind the development of Proton. Valve is the driving force behind Proton, as everyone knows, but the people who did a lot of the work to make it exist, that's Coweavers. So by buying Crossover, you're directly supporting Wine development, and to some extent, Proton development. Plus, you're also able to get customer support from Coweavers themselves. So that, there's a lot of benefits in doing it. And supporting the projects that we all benefit from is a fantastic benefit as well to you know just kind of thank them for their work. Now, what's the pricing? Well, it's very reasonable price for $74 per year or $494 forever. And I, and I, that, that part is, does matter. It's a lifetime purchase. So you purchase it one time and you also get updates perpetually. It's not just you get to use it. You also get updates as well. So that is a fantastic choice for anybody who would want to support them in a big chunk up front. Now, I think it is certainly a good option, especially if you need to run Windows apps in a business environment to get crossover and you don't want to suffer through running Windows directly. Plus, you know, you get the added benefit of supporting Wine, which is great. But I also think it's just great to be able to, you know, purchase it to support the development of wine and all that stuff. So if you'd like to learn more about Crossover, you'll find links in the show notes. This week, Firefox 104 was released. And while this release is more incremental than feature-packed, there is something really interesting that I wanted to cover in the show. Mozilla has improved the main user interface of Firefox 104 by throttling the resource usage of the browser when it is minimized or covered by other windows. Now, Firefox offers this sort of throttling for tabs as well to save on resources. And to me, this sounds like a fantastic idea for improvement because Firefox is my primary browser and I have it running pretty much all the time while I'm on a computer. This is because I'm using the application very often, but not always, but a lot of the time. So this change is very exciting to me because it should help with performance by lessening system load, which should then improve battery life and power efficiency. So for example, if you use Firefox in a full screen mode, then it's going to be using the regular resources. But if you load up other windows on top of it, 
it would be lowering the amount of usage they would use, which is just really cool because it saves on a lot of like battery life, for example, would be a very, very beneficial thing for people using laptops. Now, there are also some other improvements for Firefox 104. It now supports text writing, drawing, um, signatures, and stuff like that in the PDF viewer, which is fantastic. And a lot, it can actually solves a lot of headaches for some people having to sign like PDF documents all the time. Uh, plus there's also some bug fixes and some other changes and that sort of thing. If you'd like to learn more about the latest release of Firefox with 104, link in the show notes. This episode of This Week in Linux is brought to you by DigitalOcean. Cloud computing can be, let's say, complex, but standing up reliable, affordable cloud infrastructure really doesn't have to be. At DigitalOcean, you get a comprehensive portfolio of compute, storage, database, and networking products that put your cloud infrastructure in capable hands so you and your teams can get back to doing what matters most, building world-changing apps that grow your business. Also, with DigitalOcean, you get predictable pricing, robust product docs, and services that developers love. For example, the marketplace where you can easily get a droplet to get software to install with just a few clicks is fantastic. I love the marketplace. There's so much great stuff in there, and it makes it easy to get started with DigitalOcean. Plus, also with DigitalOcean, you can get support at every stage of growth. Whether you have a team of one person or a team of a thousand people, with simple, powerful cloud computing services at DigitalOcean, you can get growing whatever stage of growth you are right now. And as a listener of the This Week in Linux podcast and a member of the Tux Digital community, you can get started for free. In fact, it's better than free because DigitalOcean is going to give you a 60-day, $100 free credit when you go to do.co slash tux2022. That's do.co slash tux2022. And again, go get started with your $100 free credit on DigitalOcean's awesome cloud platform by going to do.co slash tux2022. I want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of This Week in Linux. With our next topic, we're going to get deep in the thick of things with the deep in Linux news. So the deep in Linux team this week revealed some interesting information regarding the future of the distro. Deepin 23 is the next iteration of the Deepin distribution, and a preview is currently available for testing. Now, what's interesting is the Deepin Linux is often considered one of the best looking Linux distros available with a lot of effort put into the polish of the design. However, the visuals for this release are not going to be changed. They're staying roughly the same this go around because the biggest difference with Deepin 23 is not very noticeable at all. Now, the Deepin team announced on Reddit that Deepin 23 will no longer be based on Debian. And in fact, it'll be an independent distro no longer based on any upstream distro. They say, and I quote, in 2022, a new version, Deepin 23 Preview, will be officially released. It is expected to be built from the Linux kernel and other open source components without relying on the communities of upstream distributions and to provide basic services and the foundation for the establishment of an independent upstream, end quote. They also say that Deepin 23 will include atomic updates, which are transactional updates that can be rolled back if an update doesn't function properly when it goes for whatever reason, which I think that's pretty cool to see. I think atomic updates are really nice to have on regardless of the distro. Now, they didn't stop there in terms of like news dropping. They've also decided to drop an announcement about creating their own universal package format called Linglong. I think that's how you're supposed to say it. They say, and I quote, Linglong is a new independent package management toolset dedicated to solving various compatibility problems caused by complex package formats and cross-dependencies under Linux, as well as to reduce the security risk caused by decentralized control of permissions, end quote. Now, my take on this is that 
It's kind of odd that they are dropping Debian as a base for the distro. I'm not saying that it's odd for distros to change what their base is. Many distros have changed their base in the past, but we don't really know why they're doing this. The majority of their Reddit post was praising Debian and how great it was. And then seemingly out of nowhere, they announced the dropping of Debian without any bases provided. So I just it's just odd because they don't explain why. And I would be interested to know why they're becoming an independent distro. Not that there's anything wrong with it. That's cool. It's just I'm curious if there was anything like specific that they needed from Debian that it couldn't provide or what exactly was the basis for this change. You know, I'm just curious. Anyway, the other thing I'd like to comment on is this new package manager, Linglong. I think the goal of making a universal format is commendable, but I'm not sure how practical it is for another one. We already have flat packs, snaps, and app images. And is there a need for another universal package format? I don't know. Let me know in the comments what you think. Another question to ask whether or not Linglong is starting too late in the game to build momentum because flat packs and snaps are already heavily utilized in the Linux world. And perhaps this new package manager format would be, I don't know, not have enough time to gain traction. I guess only time will tell what happens there. If you'd like to learn more about this news with Deepin23 or the Linglong format, links in the show notes. Speaking of universal formats, Flatpak 1.14 was released this week with a bunch of variety of improvements, including some low-level improvements. There's like some various bug fixes, and now the command line interface properly informs the user of the apps that are using end-of-life runtime extensions, which is very important uh, for being able to be notified of what kind of runtimes are used, and also you can maybe suggest to developers to update their runtimes. Plus, Flatpak's uninstall command now asks for confirmation before removing in-use runtimes or runtime extensions to ensure compatibility of other installed Flatpaks and gives the user the option to continue or not to. Now, this is great because on occasion, there could be a time, very rare for me anyway, I've only had it happen one time over the years of using Flatpak, but it's possible where a Flatpak, well, it used to be possible, where a Flatpak would uninstall or could uninstall a runtime that is used by another Flatpak when you choose to uninstall that particular Flatpak first case. So let's say, let's just rephrase that, how, how about we do that? Where if you if you uninstall a flatpak, it could remove a runtime of another flatpak that was using the same thing, and thus also breaking the second flatpak. Now this update addresses that kind of situation, which is fantastic. And if you'd like to learn more about Flatpak 1.14, link in the show notes. Speaking of flatpaks, let's talk about Lutris 0.5.11 because the new release of Lutris, the game manager project, has added support for Flatpak. Now, this is really cool, but for those unfamiliar with Lutris, I'll give you a quick synopsis of it. It's a great project that makes it much easier to install games on your system from various different stores. It can help install games from Epic Games, uh, GOG, and more. And they also added support in this release for Amazon Games integration, which is pretty cool. Now, we've had a Matthew, the founder of Lutris, on an episode of Destination Linux. We had an interview with Matthew about his uh, founding of Lutris and also the, his Linux journey in general, which is super interesting. So if you want to check out that interview, that's on episode 255 of Destination Linux, and I'll have a link to that episode in the show notes for those who are interested. So now let's get back to the topic related to the flat pack portion. I'm sure a lot of people 
you know, are already excited about this idea of easily getting Lutris installed with a flat pack, which will in turn make it much easier to get many games working on your computer. But another reason why this is exciting news is that this means owners of the Steam Deck will now be able to easily install Lutris on their device to add even more gaming options to their already existing Linux-powered console, which is fantastic. So, great news from the Lutris team. And if you'd like to learn more about this latest release of Lutris, links in the show notes. This episode of This Week in Linux is brought to you by Bitwarden. Get started right now with your free account at bitwarden.com slash tux. Bitwarden is a password manager that allows you to have peace of mind knowing that your online accounts are secure. How does it do it? Well, Bitwarden provides you with tools to store all of your passwords in a secured vault, auto-generate those passwords and usernames now, and even automatically fill in all this information in login forms so you don't have to do any of this stuff. Plus, you can have access across many different types of devices, whether you have your web browser, mobile applications, desktop application, or even on the command line. Yes, it supports the terminal for those who want to use that. So uh, Bitwarden also seals and encrypts your private data with end-to-end encryption before it ever leaves your devices. So you know you're the only person with access to your data, which is incredibly important for such an application, right? So go to bitwarden.com slash tux. That's bitwarden.com slash T-U-X to get started. Did I mention you can start for free? Well, you can, but I think you want to check out their premium account because you get a ton of great bonuses for less than a dollar per month. That's right. It's only $10 per year. Just $10 per year, and you get one gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, Duo, Vault Health Reports, Bitwarden Authenticator for temporary one-time passwords, Priority Customer Service, Bitwarden Send, so much more, and all of this for less than a dollar per month. So, make the smart move like many of community have, and go to bitwarden.com slash tux. That's bitwarden.com slash tux to get started. And thanks again to Bitwarden for sponsoring This Week in Linux. This week, we saw the release of Simu, I think that's how you say it, 2.0, and this is a big update. For those unfamiliar, Simu is an emulator for the Nintendo Wii U. Simu has been in development since 2015, but it was originally only created to support Windows. Earlier this year, they made an announcement that they plan to release Simu as an open source project and to also create a Linux version of the emulator. Well, that day is today. Well, not today. It actually started with this. Well, I'm, I'm telling you about it today. So it was actually a couple days ago. Simu 2.0 has been released along with the Linux port and the code has now been open sourced. So Simu is written in C and C++. And as far as licensing goes, it is using the Mozilla's MPL 2.0 license. And I like this choice of the license because MPL, it offers more flexibility than the GPL does, but it also is compatible with GPL. So that's cool. And one of the reasons that Simu team wanted to open source the project is to start accepting community contributions to help improve the software, which is, of course, one of the superpowers of the open source philosophy. So that's really cool. And if you'd like to learn more about this or help out with the project or get a download for Simu 2.0, links in the show notes. To all my fellow internet veterans out there, this next topic might bring back some memories. Do you remember the term Napster? Well... Do I have some news for you? But first, for those who are listening to this and aren't old enough to remember or ever heard of Napster, Napster was one of the early P2P file, uh, file sharing platforms, and there was a big lawsuit between Napster and Metallica back in the day that created all sorts of debate over music piracy online. Okay, let's go back to the news now. These days, Napster is a music streaming service. If you didn't know that, now you do. You can get access to streaming music for $9.99 a month 
on Napster right now. They say, and I quote, Napster is the streaming app where music is more than sound. Meet us on stage, in the studio, and under the radar for discovery from every angle created specifically for you. End quote. I know you're thinking, Michael, why are you talking about Napster? Well, my friends, Napster now officially supports the Linux platform with a new flat pack that you can get on the Flathub. That's right. So, this also means that it will be available on the Steam Deck for those who want to do as much as they can possible from the Steam Deck. So there you go. If you want to listen to Napster on your Steam Deck, you can now do that with the new Flatpak. If you'd like to learn more about this news, link in the show notes. Now for my fellow Linux veterans, I have another piece of news for some nostalgia's sake. This week, Pharonix is reporting the news for the release of Compiz 0.9.14.2. For those unfamiliar, Compiz is a project that has been around for many years, and for a while it was incredibly popular due to all of the bling that it could do to your desktop. Would you like your mouse cursor to appear to be on fire and leave a trail of smoke behind it as you move it? Well, Compiz could do that. Want to have a desktop cube for fancy animated virtual desktop transitioning? As you guessed it, Compiz could do that. And want to have an effect on every window where you could minimize a window and have it do like a magic lamp effect or explode into a bunch of pieces? Yep, exactly. Compiz could do that and a lot more. Now, Compiz was also an interesting project because it got forked many times. Many times. In fact, I lost count how many times it was forked. So I can't tell you that. Well, apparently it's back again. I'm not sure if it's a fork or not, or who's in charge of this now, but this week we got Compiz 0.9.14.2. Now this is a point release, so not a ton has changed, but there one thing that has changed, is that it, it, which is notable anyway, is that it's building for uh, newer versions of GCC compiler so that it can work or continue to work for those that want to in the future with more modern technology, which is cool. Plus also, there are a lot of various bug fixes and some low-level improvements as well. Now... There are other ways to get some of this stuff for those who are curious, you know, like the window effects and that sort of thing. KDE's KWIN has a lot of that stuff built in by default. And there's also some extensions you can do for GNOME Shell as well. So there's that. So you don't have to use Compass, but for those who would like to, and also would like to learn more about Compass, link in the show notes. Before I end the show this week, I wanted to bring to your attention the new style of show notes that I introduced in the last episode. I had a couple of conversations with some people on the YouTube comments about this here and there. And so I decided to, you know, try out a new style of it, of the layout for the show notes. And I'm curious what you think about it, you know, in the change for like maybe uh, specifically the way I do the links, I guess is what I want you to check it out. And it would help me a lot if you would let me know, you know, give me some feedback on this change and what you think about it in the comments or on the forum thread for this episode. It would also help me out if you came, became a patron of Twill by going to tuxdigital.com slash contribute. What? I had to throw in a shameless plug. It's in my contract. It's not my fault. I mean, I did write the contract for myself, but whatever. Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you like what I do here on this show, please like that smash button and be sure to subscribe. If you'd like to support the show and the channel, we have multiple ways to contribute via Patreon, sponsors, etc. You can go to tuxedo.com slash contribute to become a patron. And if you do become a patron, you can join me in the live stream during what? I meant to say in the recording stadium during the live stream, but yeah, what? I'm going to leave it to discuss stuff between topics and to just hang out every week after the show in the patron-only post show. 
You can also support the show by ordering the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt or the This Week in Linux t-shirt by going to tuxdigital.com slash store. Plus, while you're there, you can also check out all the other great stuff like hats, mugs, hoodies, stickers, coasters, so much stuff at tuxdigital.com slash store. If you'd like some more podcasting goodness from me, then check out the latest episodes of Destination Linux and Hardware Addicts as I'm a co-host of both of those shows on the Tux Digital Network. We have a lot of great content coming out that's already come out for both of those shows right now you can check out. And we got some really interesting stuff coming out in the future as well. So be sure to subscribe. And just a reminder, this show is live every Saturday. Okay, not every Saturday, most Saturdays at 1 p.m. U.S. Eastern or 1700 UTC during Daylight Savings Time. It'll change 1800 UTC when it's not Daylight Savings Time. So join us in the live chat to discuss all the latest Linux news each and every week by going to tuxdigital.com slash live. Thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Tunnell with the Tux Digital Network, and I'll see you next week for another episode of your weekly source for Linux. Good news.